According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, where we will read verses 36 through 43, and then we will turn to uh, John chapter 20 to read uh, verses 19 through 25. There's also a verse in Mark 16 that is included in this in these two episodes, episode 7, episode 8, Mark 16:14. Uh, I won't spend a lot of time there because that's in the disputed portion of Mark 16 that uh, doesn't even add really uh, substantively to our subject matter today anyway. Uh, so let's start with Luke 24. Before we get started, let's take time for silent prayer, asking God the Father to uh, to teach us what he would teach us this morning. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we rejoice that once again this morning we have the opportunity to assemble together Father, we ask for your faithfulness to be manifest as the Holy Spirit guides us into all things, even the deep things of God. Open the eyes of our understanding, Father. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, episode 7, Jesus' appearance to the disciples, followed by episode 8, Jesus' appearance to the disciples. (laughs) The only difference being his first appearance was with uh, Thomas being absent, doubting Thomas, we call him. And then uh, eight days later, he appears a second time and uh, speaks to the disciples with Thomas present. All right, so Jesus' appearance to the disciples minus Thomas and appearance to the disciples with Thomas. All right, sound okay? Just making adjustments? Okay. Okay, but we're still on. I just can't hear myself. Okay, I will teach by faith. Luke 24. Luke twenty four thirty six. while they were still uh, telling these things, and they, in verse 36, are the two disciples from the Emmaus Road. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. Now they're in Jerusalem, they're reporting to the disciples. The disciples were telling them about how the Lord had appeared to Cephas. And uh, this was what we looked at at the end of our previous episode, episode six, when they raced back to Jerusalem. All right. And they and when they got into town, they found that the uh, disciples were gathered together. Verse 33, uh, they returned to Jerusalem, found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and appeared to Simon. Okay, now they were, they had just run seven miles from uh, Emmaus back to Jerusalem to tell their their good news that the Lord is alive and appeared to them, and they come barging into this thing and they are interrupting because uh, what they're interrupting is a report from Simon that would be Peter Simon Peter that uh, the Lord really has risen and has appeared to them. All right, it's like when you're waiting to be the first one to give the news and you find out that somebody else has already given the news. Okay, for example, I've got good news for visitors we're going to have this coming Sunday, all right? And I won't tell you until after class, all right? Because <clears throat> I don't want you daydreaming during class, but just ask me after class who uh, who's going to be in town this coming Sunday. And uh, so they go storming in there waiting to tell their good news, and uh, they find that uh, there's other good news that's already being said, saying the Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. So then they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So they, they finally get the opportunity then to tell their story, the Emmaus Road episode. And then while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. All right, peace be to you. So this is what you want to say next time you sneak up behind somebody and they don't know that you're there. All right, now you can't really just teleport into the room like he, Jesus did, but... Um, Peace be to you, and it scared them out of their uh, out of their wits. They were startled and frightened, and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, "Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart?" Now, those are two separate questions. I think they're related the way that they're linked in that verse, but they really are related. Uh, they really are different. Troubled speaks of a emotional instability. Speaks of a of a 
uh, a struggle there. But then the doubts arising in your heart. Okay, one might be excused, but for the other, there's no excuse. Uh, it's not a sin to be troubled. Jesus was troubled. We can be troubled by a lot of things. But for doubts to arise in your heart is a faith deficiency, and that's a problem because there's no reason for it. There is no reason for a believer to have a faith deficiency when God has an infinite amount of faithfulness in his promises. So we'll discuss that. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so we have the touching invitation, which uh, we'll talk about today, we'll talk about next week. I really want to uh, expand upon this touching invitation. Because previously, he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch, hands off. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when she finally figured out that he wasn't the gardener, she started to cling to his feet. And he said, stop doing that. Stop clinging to me. Do not touch me. For I have not yet risen to my father. Here he invites, touch me. Touch me and see, uh, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, uh, reading from Luke 24, while they uh, still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish. So evidently touching isn't good enough. If you don't believe your eyes, you don't believe your fingers, then uh, watch me eat something. Okay, and maybe that will prove to you uh, when you see the eaten fish and the bones on my plate that, uh, you know, you'll have uh, the fish bones remaining after I'm done. And maybe that will be a clue that, uh, that this is really real. Okay, you know, when you when you go back the next morning and you see that plate there and the and the fish bones you go, wow, Jesus was really here last night. You know, that really happened. I didn't just dream that. All right. So he took it and he ate it before them. Now we'll stop there in verse 43, because when we get to 44 and following, we have really what crosses over to the next episode, where he delivers the the Great Commission, where he challenges them based upon his new authority as having received all authority in heaven and on earth, where he opens their minds to understand the scriptures in verse 45. I love that expression, and it's one that we uh, ought ought to consider moving forward. Let's turn now, though, over to John chapter 20, and let's read this account and uh, glean some of the divergent details here, and then we'll uh, go back to the top and start running some points of study. So John chapter 20, uh, verse uh, 19. Verse 19. Now, the connection here is slightly different because uh john does not record the emmaus road episode luke's the only gospel there uh well the disputed mark 16 uh could touch on it but uh so in john we don't have the emmaus road episode we just have uh the episode here with mary magdalene and and here it is with a stop clinging to me in verse 17 jesus said to her stop clinging to me for i have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brethren and say to them i ascend to my father and your father and my god and your god and remember when we taught this this is a little bit different than the message that the other women were communicating the other women were supposed to go to peter and the disciples and tell them that uh, jesus was going to uh, galilee to meet them in galilee mary magdalene is supposed to tell them that he is ascending to god the father And so Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so evening time now, uh, we've gone from early dawn, from sun up now to evening, really late evening, practically midnight again by the time, I think, by the time these uh, disciples uh, come running back all the way from Emmaus, okay, How long does it take you to cover seven miles? If we're going to hike it back into into Jerusalem uh, even after the sun went down. All right. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, we're going to discuss this phrase, uh, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So I mentioned the details we don't really read about in Luke, but they're in a room with the doors shut. 
All right? It'd be like, you know, our doors right now, those doors are shut. They're not locked. We don't have locks on these doors. But imagine that we had the doors were all locked from the parking lot to the front doors to those doors. And uh, then all of a sudden, just boom, somebody's standing up here that wasn't here before. How do they get there? They just popped in there. They teleported. What'd they do? Yeah, we would find that rather startling. So uh, he says to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. But he expands on it now. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So they actually get some teaching on this night that uh, will connect very well with what we'll look at in Luke 24. It'll connect very well with Matthew 28 when we get into the Great Commission in uh, uh, these upcoming episodes. All right, but... Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So for whatever reason, we don't know why he was uh, missing that night, uh, the other of the eleven were there, but not Thomas. And so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, I don't believe it, (laughs) okay? Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's just not going to believe it, okay? That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. He gets his nickname based on this one verse right here, all right? This one verse right here, and I think it's a misnomer, okay? I believe it's a misnomer. I'm going to give you the points of study on this. He's not doubting. Um, He is refusing, volitionally refusing to not believe, okay? And there's a difference, and we're going to talk about a doubt where you're just not sure on things versus a willful rejection of persuasion. And uh, we'll discuss that. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Okay, now he finally made it. Eight days later. And this is our transition then from episode seven to episode eight. Uh, And if all we had was the Gospel of Luke, we wouldn't know that there were two separate episodes eight days apart. Uh, Luke doesn't really talk about the distinction between the two events. Luke just kind of presents it as one one deal on that uh, Sunday night. Uh, John gives you the detail, though, that no, Thomas was missing that first Sunday night. He didn't meet the Lord until the following Monday, eight days later. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, and the doors having been shut, he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. So there he is again, second time, teleporting in or walking through walls, you know, um, whatever the the uh, superpower might be that he uh, is exhibiting there. Okay, is it teleportation? Is it phasing? Is it invisibility? Um, time travel? You know, what might it be? Okay. Um, I didn't even have time travel in my notes. That just popped into my head. All right. You know, I mean, if uh, if you walk into a room before it's locked and then you uh, zip forward an hour in time, uh, yeah, they can lock the door in the meantime and then you pop in and it looks like you teleported in. But it wasn't a uh, space dimensional transition. It was a time dimensional transition at that point. In any event. And... Uh, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger. See my hands. Okay. How did Jesus hear all that? (laughs) Okay. Well, he heard it. He knows all. Remember, he's no longer as he laid aside his privileges. Uh, Once he's been ascended to the Father, he has full deity access, full deity privileges, complete omniscience. Now, he knows what Thomas said. Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put into my side and stop being unbelieving. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. There is a verse I want to camp on for a while. All right. There is an imperative, an exhortation that as a pastor, I would I would preach till I turn blue in the face. I would preach to every sheep the Lord ever gives me. Okay. Because he's saved. Problem is, is we use believe so loosely, right? This is the unbelief of the believer that's being rebuked here. And uh, we use the term believer because we believe in Jesus and we're saved. 
But just because we're believers doesn't mean that we're always going to believe on each testing circumstance or each occasion or every, every snare that we encounter. And so, yes, we are believers. That's not a bad title, but sometimes it's, it, we need a better one. All right? We are born again. We are regenerate. Okay? And there's a status that never changes. We are eternally born again. We are eternally regenerate. We are eternally uh, identified, baptized into union with Jesus Christ. But we will not always be walking by faith. Tomorrow I may be walking in darkness. I may be walking by sight instead of faith again. See, um, I can stop walking by faith tomorrow or today. I can stop walking by faith. When you're carnal, you're not walking by faith because faith's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're sitting there in carnality or you're, you're uh, you know, harboring mental attitude sin, you're not making faith decisions. And when you're not making faith decisions, you're not believing. Remember, believe is the verb for the noun faith. And so when I have a test, when I have a choice to make, I want to make that choice believing. And the imperative to not be unbelieving is given to a born-again believer. Thomas is saved. He has eternal life. But he's not believing at the moment. And he's being commanded to start believing. Start believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. It's the same thing today. Believers today, they stop believing. They stop trusting in the promises. They stop operating by faith. And when you stop operating by faith, you're back to sight again. Those are the only two options you have. Ideally, we will obey the scripture that says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. But when you disobey that verse, what are you back to? You're back to walking by sight again. You're walking like mere men. Paul says, I told the Corinthians, I can't talk to you as to spiritual men, as to men of flesh, but as to carnal men, as to babes in Christ. He says, you're walking like mere men. You're walking based on sight. You're just making decisions the way an unbeliever makes decisions. And that's terrible. Stop doing that. Start making faith decisions. Trusting in the Lord, looking to Him and His guidance. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. So Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. In verse 29, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do, did not see and yet believed. This comes back to uh, the, the rash statement that he said that says, Well, I'm not going to believe until I put my hand in his side. Don't say he couldn't, it said he wouldn't. There's a difference between can't and won't. Okay? Couldn't and wouldn't. You know? Um, I think there's a lot of unbelievers. I've given the gospel. And Evantel, you know, like, yeah, recommends that you ask this question. Is there anything right now that's that's keeping you from trusting in, in Christ? And I don't I don't mind that. I think it's a legitimate question and it's useful on occasion. Um, you know, and I've used it. I've asked people, is there anything right now that's, that's preventing you, that's keeping you from trusting in Christ? And and I've gotten some interesting answers back and some very honest answers back, you know. And uh, more often than not, the answers back aren't true. <laughs> they're not true. They're not accurate. Because they're talking about something that is keeping them from believing. And more often than not, it's, it's not a hindrance in terms of a can. It's, it's simply a volitional thing in terms of a won't. They don't want to. Okay? It's not that they can't. But they phrase it like they can't. And so, okay, well, it's not that you can't. It's that you won't when it comes right down to it. So, but you see that right there in verse 25. Unless, unless. And then fill in the blank. Make your own list of, of your demands. And then he says, you meet my demands? Okay. Make me happy? Provide for my felt needs? Then, uh, <laughs> then I'll, uh, I'll uh, do what you say. I will not believe. I will not. Wow. That's actually pretty bold, pretty willful, pretty blasphemous. And uh, God is, Jesus is so gracious because he shows up and he says, here's my hands, here's the hole in my side. <laughs> right? Very patient, very gracious towards uh, a stiff-necked, not doubting Thomas, stiff-necked Thomas. 
Okay. So, here's what we're looking at. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed, in verse 29. Then it wraps up. Do we go all the way to the... Yeah, we do. We go all the way down to verse 31. Some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible are right here. Powerful verses that describe why the Gospel of John was even written. Why not stop with Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Come on, we had synoptic Gospels for 50 years. Why did the Holy Spirit say, we're going to write a fourth Gospel? And he selected the last living apostle, John, after Peter and Paul and everybody else is already in heaven. The last living apostle gets to write the fourth and final gospel. Why was Matthew, Mark, and Luke not sufficient? Well, verse 30, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. The purpose clause for the Gospel of John, we're told specifically, and it's the only book in the Bible. We've got 66 books in the Bible. This is the one and only that has a declared purpose clause of evangelism. The only book of the Bible where it expressly is written out that this book was written for an evangelistic purpose, so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing, you may have life in his name. Uh, you can get saved in, every, in a lot of other books too, but this one, the Gospel of John, has a purpose clause that spells out that it was written to be evangelistic. And I find that to be extraordinary. All right, so here's where we're going to go. Let's uh, pick up some points of study, starting with the context. Point one, even while the Emmaus Road disciples were giving their full detailed explanation, Jesus personally appeared among them. Even while the Emmaus Road disciples were giving their full detailed explanation, Jesus personally appeared among them. Right there in the midst. Right there while they were giving their report. Even while the Emmaus Road disciples were giving their full detailed explanation, Jesus personally appeared among them. So, I'm asked sometimes, is there ever a valid reason to interrupt a Bible class? Well, they weren't interrupting a Bible class. This is a missionary report. (laughs) But interrupt a proceeding. Well, if Jesus himself chooses to pop in here, he's the head of the church and he can do what he wants. (laughs) Uh, I, I prefer not to interrupt proceedings. Uh, that's just my conviction related to all things being done properly in an orderly manner. Um, in fact, uh, different aspects there, but there he is. All right. They're giving the report. He pops in. Now, the doors had been shut for fear of the Jews. Subpoint A. Subpoint A. The doors were shut for fear of the Jews. The doors were shut for fear of of the Jews. Now this is an expression that's fairly common in the Gospel of John. We've seen it several times prior to this chapter. Chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 12, chapter 19. Twice now in chapter 20. So uh, we've had four uses already. This one is the fifth. The sixth one comes down in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside, Thomas with them. Again, we're told, uh, the doors having been shut. Um, oh, I don't see fear of the Jews mentioned there, but for context, the doors having been shut. Okay. But verse 19 does specifically say it's fear of the Jews. Fear of the Jews. So why are the doors shut? Because they don't have any faith. They're scared. Or is it altogether appropriate? At what point do you need to make, um, do you need to have discernment and wisdom and identify that there is a physical danger and you ought to have physical steps in place? What were the disciples doing when they were selling their property and holding all things in common? What were the disciples doing when they were uh, inviting folks in for, for meals and providing, again, all things in common? Sharing financially, sharing food, sharing living arrangements. 
They were under persecution. They were in danger of having, uh, in fact, it was pretty smart to sell and liquidate the assets because they were very tangible and they were subject to being uh, stolen. They were subject to seizure that uh, they could be foreclosed and, and be taken. Well, sell it before they take it. Get some cash out of it. Get something, uh, uh, you know, get some liquid assets. Get something movable where you can uh, provide for one another. Okay, now that's under those circumstances. We don't have similar circumstances today, but we may be approaching that. <clears throat> we ought to have our eyes open to increasing difficulties and have a, a little bit. I think it's part of being shrewd as serpents, yet harmless as doves. I believe the Lord would approve of, of uh, locking the door. Saying, no problem locking the door. It keeps the bad guys out. It's no problem for me to pop in here, <laughs> Jesus says, you know, um, <clears throat> as far as that goes. And believers in uh, other countries where, uh, you know, Muslim countries or communist countries, places like that, to this day, they have to be discerning about how they operate and who they invite in. You know, we, we're not, <clears throat> we don't discourage visitors. If you want to bring a visitor in, bring a visitor in. You know, it's not like we're going to do a criminal background check and find out who they are before you bring them in. But those days may be coming. See, where we meet in secret and we don't tell anyone where we gather. If you want to invite a visitor, you invite a visitor to your home. Okay, we'll meet in your home until we get to, you know, check them out and find out who they are and then teach them the secret handshake and the password and they can, uh, they can come to our gathering down the road after we've gotten to know them for a while. All right. Let's look at some of these earlier ones. Uh, backing up to chapter 7. <clears throat> John chapter 7 and verse 13. <clears throat> The man born blind. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry, that's chapter 9. <clears throat> chapter 7 is the uh, feast. <clears throat> and this is the fall, <clears throat> Feast of Tabernacles, before the crucifixion. And this is where his brothers were trying to get him to go up to Jerusalem and make a, <clears throat> a great big splash. The. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 7 says, The feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Now understand, this is a, a, a feast that in the millennium is going to have a powerful significance. This is a feast that during the thousand year reign of Christ is going to require every Gentile king makes a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they must worship Jesus Christ. We read about this in Zechariah 14. If these Gentile kings don't come to Jerusalem and worship Jesus Christ, they get their reign shut off for the following year. A drought upon their land. It's a serious deal. And they want him to go up there and make a big splash. His brothers, in verse 3, said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you were doing. It's all about the show. What, what will they see? What is it that they can uh, be entertained by? For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Well, you obviously want the publicity, right? Well, that's the attitude of the brothers, but they're not saved. See, they've got a worldly viewpoint. Does he seek to be known publicly? Was it the goal of Jesus Christ to be known, publicly known? You know, I think if that was his goal, he could have obviously done a pretty good job of it, but that wasn't his goal. Why spent so long in Galilee? If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. See, they weren't even saved. They don't get saved till after the resurrection. And yet, isn't it interesting? You will find this. I have found this. You will find this in your ministry. You will find this in your life. Okay? Everybody you meet will have an opinion on what you need to do. Okay? You know, how you, what you should do in your marriage, what you should do in raising your kids, where you should live, what you should do in your business, um, in your ministry. Everyone in the world is going to have an opinion. Okay? Sharon's got an uncle that's constantly telling me what I need to do to bring visitors in here. You know, what I need to do to have more parishioners, to have a, a, a larger church. And, you know, I've, I've told them a hundred times. I exaggerate, so maybe I've told them 20 times. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to build a bigger church. You know, well, don't you want more people? More people is more money. So, 
That's the Lord's business. That's not my business. I have to be faithful with the ones he's given me. And if I'm faithful, he'll give me more or not. That's his business. Amen. Well, they want him to go make a big splash. Well, they've got their opinions, but they're not saved. So what do they know? Okay. I'm going to take spiritual advice from an unbeliever. All right. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. Understand that for the unbeliever, for the fallen man in this fallen world, they're always in season. Okay. This is their place. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourself. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. And so having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But then he follows later, unbeknownst to them, okay, but known to us. When the brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Okay. Now here too, I think this is a good testimony for us back to our chapter today. There's nothing wrong with locking those doors. I think it's smart. I think it's shrewd as serpent, harmless as doves. I think it's identifying the day and age in which you're operating. Knowing the culture around you. Knowing the circumstances. Have your eyes open. Okay, If you go uh, walking down a dark alley at night with $100 bills hanging out of your pockets, uh, you know, and you get mugged, well, duh. You know, don't blame the Lord for that. <clears throat> you're putting the Lord and your God to the test. You, you know, moron, you know, figure out what you're doing. Have some discernment. Anyway, here they are. Now, he goes up as if in secret. And so the Jews were seeking him at the feast and saying, where is he? You know, they were having some discussion about him. They probably had a little bit of a bet going on. You know, some drachmas were passing left and right. You know, is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? He'll be here. Five to one odds says he'll be here. He never misses these. Yeah, but they're trying to kill him. I bet you he skips it. Much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, he leads the people astray. He's teaching different than the Pharisees. He can't be good. But he's doing miracles. He can't be bad. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. Every conversation was always hush-hush. And if a Pharisee came by, stop talking. If if one of the scribes came by, stop talking. Okay? So you know you're talking about when, you know, you you know when you walk up and all of a sudden it gets, with this awkward silence, the the previous conversation just stopped because you're there. All right? So there's our first episode. Over to chapter 9. More fear of the Jews. And fear of the Jews means... Um, it's not Semitophobia, right? It's not, it's not, you're not scared of racially Jewish people because they also are racially Jewish people. Uh, when the gospel of John uses Eudias, uh, Jews speaks of the, the observant, the, the religiously observant, which means the legalists, which means the, the, um, the, the, the connected religious Jews in the temple system in Jerusalem. All right. So the Sanhedrin and all the observant Jews. So, and the idea of being expelled was was unthinkable from the uh, from the synagogue. All right, um, chapter nine. Here's the man born blind, and uh, the parents are uh, going to be grilled about this. They didn't like the answers he was giving them, so they bring their parents in, and. Uh, in verse 18, we see the Jews then did not believe it of him that he'd been born blind. And so they, they called the parents in. And so they start questioning them. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How, then how does he now see? And his parents answer them and say, well, <laughs> we know that this is our son. And we know that he was born blind. Yes. Yes and yes. We know that. We know that. But how he now sees, we do not know. We weren't there. We didn't see anything. We can't help you. Leave us alone, <laughs> please. And uh, and who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Why are you asking us? Okay. He's of age. We raised him. He's gone. We're not accountable anymore. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. Here's fear of the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Here's the consequences for naming the name of Jesus Christ. Expulsion from the synagogue. Okay? And if you are an observant Jew in Jerusalem, this is unthinkable. Because this is your community. This is your faith community. This is your identification with blessing as Yahweh is blessing Israel. Um, If you are an observant Jew in Jerusalem, you cannot be expelled from the synagogue. Whatever synagogue you attend. Word gets around. You'd you'd have to just, you know, leave... uh, Leave Jerusalem, go live in Galilee somewhere, or go live in the diaspora somewhere. Even there, word's going to spread. The network gets around. Okay? Well, what do you think Saul's doing? Breathing fire, going to other synagogues, even in other lands. Word is going to get around that, oh, you confess that Nazarene as the Christ? Word's going to get around. You are expelled. Okay? So, uh, sometimes it's hard for us to, we don't relate to this because we're so mobile. American culture is so mobile, transportable. I mean, we just, if you get kicked out of a church, big deal, go to the next one. And they'll be happy to have you there because they're hurting for people, (laughs) right? So, I mean, never mind that you were expelled under church discipline. Never mind that, you know, you, whatever, your spiritual life's a wreck and you're living in open carnality and, um, You've been removed from the church. Well, who cares? I'll just go to the next one. They'll welcome me with open arms. In most cases, that is true. All right. Uh, but here, understand the cultural impact of being expelled. Uh, over to chapter 12, John twelve forty two. <clears throat> And uh, his message uh, runs down through verse 36 when the red disappears and we have black text after that. (laughs) And then uh, these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself. Wow. I felt like doing that after some Sundays. And uh, though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? You know, you're going you're to deliver a message and nobody responds by faith. Who has believed it? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What he said in his arm of power, his miracles. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, they could not believe. Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes, perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. And these things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many... So now there is a blindness that's applied in general. Nevertheless, even within that, many, on an individual basis, will believe. Even of the rulers. Even of the rulers. We know two by name. We know Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Even the rulers believed in him, but because the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. Notice the link between believe and confess. Very Jewish. Just like in Romans 10, very Jewish. Okay? Believe and confess. We don't preach a two-stage salvation in our gospel in the church age, but understand what's happening here. There's believing and then there's confessing. This relates to Israel and the uh, identification of their Messiah for the, for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So they believed, but they would not confess. They would not publicly confess openly for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So there it is. Fear of the Jews and expulsion from the synagogue. Expulsion from the synagogue. It's interesting, the the missionary work that the disciples are going to have after Pentecost that they're going to be going into synagogues on Saturday. They're going to be going into the temple on Saturday. They're going, to, they're going to take part with their Jewish brethren on Saturday on a missionary basis and then inviting them to come back on Sunday and having their uh, church services on Sunday in different capacities. 
All right. Uh, chapter 19, 1938. That was a good year. 1938, right? My mother-in-law, I think, was 1938. All right. After these things, uh, they bring him down off the cross. They shall look upon him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. Okay? We don't need to do this anymore. We don't need to do that. Now, maybe we will in the future. Maybe we got persecution days coming up. But today, it bugs me to death. We got so many undercover Christians in the church age today. You know, they're 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 secret agent Christians. They're saved, but boy, you would never know it because they they keep that locked away. You know, under uh, under uh, padlock. They've got that with some kind of encryption. Um, no, we don't have to be secret disciples. I'd be, I'd be happy to tell anybody who I belong to. But a secret disciple, for fear of the Jews, came and asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. And Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen wrappings. And he realized the secret's out at this point. You know, it's hard to stay secret at this point when you defile yourself on the eve of Passover. Nicodemus and Joseph will not be partaking of Passover with their uh, Pharisee buddies and their, uh, you know, their cohorts, their peers on the Sanhedrin. They're not going to be gathered together with the Sanhedrin because they're defiled. Touch a dead body, you're defiled. You are ritually unclean. And they are forsaking their Passover observance by, by leaving themselves ritually unclean. I believe they've got the doctrine to understand that uh, they're not losing out on anything. (laughs) That Christ, their Passover, has been crucified. So they don't partake of the ritual. They're celebrating the reality. All right, so there's the fear of the Jews. And uh, repeatedly in the Gospel of John, it reflects the mindset that uh, there is a hostility among the religious leaders. Now, shut doors, point B. Shut doors did not prevent Jesus from coming and standing in their midst. And so I list three possible options. Teleportation, phasing, or invisibility. Uh, I should have also mentioned time travel, which just popped into my head a few minutes ago. Uh, I believe there is also time travel in the Scriptures. I think uh, the Mount of Transfiguration was a time travel episode. I believe that Jesus took Peter, James, and John forward into the millennial kingdom and uh, showed them with the resurrected Moses and Elijah, showed them the kingdom. He took them forward into the kingdom and then brought them back when the uh, transfiguration episode was complete. I think uh, Ezekiel, likewise, was brought forward in time and given a tour of the, of the millennial temple in chapters 40 through 48 of Ezekiel, that he walked around in uh, the millennial temple. Okay, and it was yes, it was a spiritual vision, and he was out of body experience, so it could have just been a, a, a hallucination or a, a, a you know holographic image, or he was brought forward in time, given the grand tour in an invisible, intangible, spiritual way. So, uh, teleportation—it's known in Scripture. 1 Kings 18, 12, Luke 24, 31, Acts 8, 39, and 40. Three episodes of teleportation, maybe more. Those are just off the top of my head. You understand teleportation? Disappear here, appear here. It's like the Star Trek transporter beam, okay? Or uh, Nightcrawler, right? Different superheroes that can teleport from one place to another. Um... You familiar with those? First Kings 18, Elijah, the prophet. That's why King Ahab had a dickens of a time trying to track him down. Every time he thought he had him, he just disappeared and went somewhere else. Okay, you know it's it's good it's a good skill to have if you're a fugitive, because uh, you know how are they going to catch you? How are they going to arrest you? Even if they know where you are, they surround you and you just disappear and go somewhere else. First Kings 18.
As Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go and say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you're saying, Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. And it will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to where I do not know. And when I come, I will tell Ahab uh, that he cannot find you and he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Okay? So don't, don't make me do this. <laughs> don't make me go tell Ahab you're here. Because the Spirit will carry you where I do not know. So here's spiritual travel, spiritual transportation. Disappearing in one place, appearing somewhere else. And there it is. All right, Luke 24, 31. Another episode uh, where he disappeared. Although, you know, was this uh, invisibility? When he disappeared from their sight, I think he just poofed out of there. He's breaking bread. Their eyes were open. They realized who it was. And their eyes were open and he recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Now, was that actually teleportation? Did he disappear and go somewhere else? Or did he just turn invisible? Um, and then walk away, you know. Um, I think he traveled somewhere else because we learned that he appeared to Cephas. He was all over the place. He appeared to Simon. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He was in the garden talking to Mary Magdalene. He was on the road talking to the other women. He was on the road to Emmaus talking to these guys. He went to Peter's house and talked to Peter. And then he pops into the, uh, to the room here with the doors locked. So we have these examples of teleportation. And then Philip gives the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8. And uh, when his work here is done, the Holy Spirit takes him somewhere else, the road to Azotus. Acts 8, 39 and 40. Gives him the gospel out of Isaiah, and uh, the man gets saved, and he says, look, water, what... What uh, keeps me from being baptized? And nothing. Let's go get baptized. And they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Snatched. Okay? Rapture. Same word. And the, uh, the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. <laughs> and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel to the cities until he came to Caesarea. It's got to be a little bit disconcerting if you don't know exactly where you are. <laughs> right? You know, just all of a sudden, boom, you're looking around and have I been to the city before? <laughs> Would I recognize Azotus? All right. Uh, another possibility is he walks through walls, okay? Uh, phasing is if uh, if you are ghostish, yeah, immaterial, then, uh, you know, your molecules can pass through the wall molecules or doors or whatever. Walking through walls, walking through doors, called phasing. I believe... Uh, Luke 4.30 is, is an example of that, as well as John 10.39, both of which were used for escape purposes when uh, people tried to lay hands on him, and he simply passed through their midst. That, uh, you know, you try to lay hands on somebody that becomes intangible and just pass through their midst. Okay? And again, it's hard to, hard to arrest somebody that can teleport or hard to arrest somebody that can go intangible. You know, how do you lay hands on them? How do you put handcuffs on an angel? Right? How did how was Gabriel held for twenty one days? You know, if I try to lay hands on an angel and just pass right through. Okay. Anyway, there's Luke four thirty and John ten thirty nine are examples of that. Or is it just simply invisibility? Just uh, not able to see them, such as John eight fifty nine and John twelve thirty six. Just invisibility. Or who cares? <laughs> It's just what happened. He appeared and there he was. I think it's teleportation. That's my idea. But if somebody else has a different idea, well, okay. Envision it as you like. The text says that he appeared in their midst. Suddenly he appeared in their midst. Okay? So whatever the the process was that got him there, then there it is. All right. Do you want to see the rest of these? Luke uh, 4.30. Say, wow, I didn't know there were superpowers in the Bible. Yeah, it's like a comic book. It's not, I'm joking. P 
people here face to face can understand my uh, tongue in cheek and humor. Right, yeah. People listening on MP3 file in uh, another culture, or yeah, they may not uh, know that I'm always joking. All right, Luke 4:30. Um, passing through their midst, he went on his way. They uh, they were going to drive him off the cliff. Here he is uh, in his hometown. And uh, the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. They got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Okay? So they're pushing him to the edge, pushing him to the edge, pushing him to the edge, but can't push him off because he just passed through their midst and went on his way. John 10.39, another example. They tried to lay hands on him. And he eluded their grasp. I and the Father are one. And uh, believe the works. You may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Well, those are fighting words. That, that makes them mad. Okay, And therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. He eluded their grasp. Is that phasing? Is that intangibility? Is it uh, is it lightning speed that he ducked and dodged and you know danced and dodged around? Then uh, chapter eight and verse fifty nine for the invisibility. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. How did he hide himself? He hid himself and went out of the temple. Was that invisibility? It's usually thought of as that. Uh, was it uh, disguising himself? He, they thought he was the gardener. Okay, they uh, maybe it was just uh, it was a, a face uh, shape shifting kind of a thing. He just he didn't look like himself anymore. He hid himself. Okay, and he just Jesus became this, uh, you know, where's Waldo puzzle because he changed his face and which one is he? Okay, it says he hid himself and went out of the temple again. Mechanics on that is that invisibility or what is that? And twelve thirty six. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. That sounds like a pretty good message. But these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Seems to be pretty common. All right. Well, maybe in seven minutes I'll make application. No. <laughs> Finish speaking and then I'll go ahead myself. Point two now. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. What a greeting. What a greeting. Peace be to you. And he used it twice. And then he expands upon it. Peace be to you. Shalom. Um, you know, what do we say? We say hi, hello, howdy, <laughs> what's up, how you doing? You know, we don't even greet anyone anymore. We just ask a meaningless question that we don't want the answer for. <laughs> what do we say when we greet one another? I like to Say, grace be unto you in peace. That seems kind of epistolary, okay? Christian anyway. How about peace be to you? Shalom. It's an Old Testament greeting. We start with the Irene. Irene, who mean? Okay. Sharon has an Aunt Irene. There's a whole bunch of Irenes in Ukraine. It's a fairly common Russian name. Irene humin, Irene humin, peace be to you. Standard greeting comes from the Hebrew Old Testament. We have it here in Luke 24 and in John 20, three different times in John 20, verse 19, verse 21, verse 26. Sometimes he expands upon it. It's used in 1 Peter 5.14 as a salutation. 1 Peter 5.14. 1 Peter 5 is the final chapter of that book. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all who are in Christ. Peace be to all who are in Christ. That's our heritage. It's who we are in Christ. It's his peace we've received. You know, there's, there's a certain element of our inheritance we don't get till we get to heaven. It's all reserved in heaven for you. But this is a component we have right here, right now. Okay? It's not like we have to wait to close escrow or anything. Not like we have to wait... Uh, um, you know, 
what do they call that when uh, you're in probate? It's not like you have to clear probate that uh, it's held up in a court and then you're waiting for a judge to release the terms of a will or something. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. My peace I give to you. It's part of our bequest is what he's given us. It's uh, his gift. It's like the, the, the wedding gift of a groom to his bride. This, that's his blessing for us. And thank God for it. <laughs> you know, man, not as the world gives do I give to you. The standard greeting from the Hebrew Old Testament, the shalom, shalom laka, or shalom lak. Shalom lak, Judges 19.20. And to this day, they say shalom. You want to, you know, be friendly to a Jewish person? Walk up to him and say shalom. Okay? You're like walking up to a Hawaiian person and saying aloha, right? Or walking up to a Texan and saying howdy. Okay? We don't really do that, but when I go to the Philippines or Ukraine, I tell them we do. So anyway, have some fun with that. Um, different uh, things there. Boy, I had the leakiest cup today. All right. Point C, the ecclesiastical greeting in the New Testament expands it. It goes from peace to grace and peace. Peace we have from the Lord, but as mystery doctrine is unveiled, we add grace in front of peace. And so we have grace to you in peace. Every letter Paul ever wrote, letters that Peter wrote, letter that John wrote in Revelation, all of the verses that have grace to you in peace. Grace to you in peace. Charis, humin kai erene. Don't have to repeat the humin a second time. It's just charis humin kai erene. Grace to you and peace to you. The ecclesiastical greetings in the New Testament expands from just shalom. Okay. And you might expect that. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to have a shalom greeting that's going to become a charis kai erene greeting. It's going to become a grace and peace greeting in the New Testament. And all of those, you can find those yourself. Those are all just the, uh, uh, the salutary verses of each of the epistles. Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2, Galatians 1.3, Ephesians 1.2, Philemon 1.2, Colossians 1.2, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1.2, Titus 1.4, there's a star there because in Titus it's actually grace, mercy, and peace. Same thing in uh, the Timothys. Philemon 3. 1 Peter 1, 2, 2 Peter 1, 2, and the Apostle John in Revelation. Revelation 1, 4. Grace to you and peace. All right. We'll come back next week and uh, take a look at these uh, scaredy cats. The disciples were startled, frightened, troubled, and doubt-filled. Four things. The disciples were startled, frightened, troubled, and doubt-filled. And uh, we need to decide whether uh, that's a problem or not, and why. And if you are if you are troubled, does that mean automatically that you're sinning? No, you can be, you can be in fellowship and troubled. Jesus said he was troubled to the point of death. His soul was troubled to the point of death. He wanted his disciples to pray with him. So, being troubled is not necessarily a sin just because you're troubled. Depends on why you're troubled. And uh, the, the kind of fear, if you're not fearing the Lord and you're fearing because you don't fear the Lord and you're scared, you have the wrong kind of fear because you don't have the right kind of fear, that's a problem. Uh, but really, the bigger problem is you don't have the right kind of fear. <laughs> okay. And then uh, startled, I don't think there's anything about that. We're always startled because we're creatures of time and things happen we weren't expecting and so you're startled. All right, fine, that happens. But doubt-filled doubt filled that becomes the hugest problem of all because why do doubts arise in your heart why you know why do you not believe because it's you know there should be no obstacle to our pistis based upon his pistos he is faithful so we ought to have faith in anything he says if we don't the deficiency is on our end not his end he is infinitely faithful. And this is where we'll pick it up next week. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. 
Father, thank you for the truth of your word, the opportunity we have to come together for this teaching, for uh, opening our eyes to see certain uh, aspects of things that maybe, Father, maybe, maybe days are coming where we'll be in uh, behind locked doors. Maybe days are coming when, uh, yeah, we'll still have a public presence here, but there's more of what we'll do uh, under under the radar. Father, uh, at least now, for now, we uh, are permitted to own a building, to have a sign out front, to keep the doors open. Folks can come in off the street, Father, and uh, we welcome our visitors. At least for now, Father, we have such freedom. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the provision. Thank you for the opportunity. We give you the praise and the glory, Father, for all that you continue to do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.